0: Everybody, welcome to the Tech Analyst Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Shrout, principal analyst at Shrout Research, joined by Patrick Moorhead, principal analyst at Moor Insights and Strategy. Patrick, good to talk to you again. It's been a little while. Ryan,
1: has been, it has been. It's uh, been pretty nice to be home as well. So I have no, hey, I was traveling <laughs>
0: excuses. Nothing this time. I, I those all fall onto me, so but I'll, I'll, I'll leave everybody in the dark about that. No need to get into it. Uh, but, but there has been a lot of stuff going on. I think we wanted to, to discuss and touch uh, touch on. The, the first one that came up is we, we've talked about it a couple of episodes ago about the HomePod, Apple's entry into the smart speaker world finally being released. It's out there now. Reviews are out. You've been using one. I have one here that I've kind of just started uh, to really use. What are your thoughts on the device as a whole it's sound quality it's you know smart services integrations those types of things
1: yeah so first off uh it it it's super high quality even down at the packaging i've never actually seen packaging like this and i don't normally go giddy over scissor mechanisms <laughs> or or things like this but i was really impressed um at the packaging and i think that's just reinforces its its premium quality it's very heavy uh, it feels very expensive, uh, and it is expensive. So, <laughs> um, and and I I will be the first to say I am more of a video file. I can find an errant pixel or ter- I can I can find that in anything. I am not um, necessarily an audiophile. It's probably too many years of, uh, of Van Halen back in the '80s. But um, <laughs> so I just want to say that up front. I did compare it. To uh, the Sonos One, uh, both mm-hmm. mono. Which, by the way, you can buy two Sonos Ones for the price of a HomePod. But I only did a single testing, and I think the HomePod sounds great. And and it's it it. I, I think the best part about it, even though the depth of, of Siri isn't as good as Alexa right now, uh, I can it can be jamming, and I can I can just say the The keyword I'm not going to say it. Because I don't want
0: to <laughs> right have everybody said if anybody's uh, speakers or devices. Yeah,
1: but um, it 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 sounds really really good. So I just think the question is, how does it compare to other things that might be half its cost or uh, a third of its cost?
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that the. It really, you know, there's two different things you look at when you're looking at a smart speaker. One is the speaker quality, and the other one is the smart quality, if you will, the features and technology that that really dive into it. I think it's it's safe to say that, that the HomePod is probably the best-sounding smart speaker out there, and that includes, you know, the most recent um, uh, updated Amazon Echo devices, uh, which, which we have here as well. And Sonos is you know it's not really i wouldn't really consider it a smart speaker it has over time evolved some and they have you know added um uh amazon support to it and i know they're working on firmware with to add google assistant support into it or or rather that you can use those devices to control your your sono speakers more directly um and, and so apple gets a lot of credit for building what is, I I think based on other reviews and what some of their guys in in our offices have talked about, probably the best sounding individual smart speaker, especially one of this size, uh, that that we've ever heard. I I'm still not sold on the, you know, uh, the Apple assistant integration, the fact that there are so few services that can integrate with it. For me, you know, I don't use Apple music. I use Spotify as my primary, you know, personal audio consumption service. And, and so not being able to utilize that with the Homebond kind of makes it a deal, deal killer for me, right? Like my wife and my, and my daughter and I, we, all, we use those, uh, the Echoes throughout the house, and we're always accessing audio through Spotify. So until they kind of, other services sign on, Apple opens up a little bit and allows further integration of that. To me, I think it's, it's missing a significant portion of the audience. Not that there's not a, enough Apple fans and Apple Music users to sell plenty of home HomePods, uh, but I just, I feel like the same issues that people kind of have with, with Siri in general, follow along to this, to the smart speaker release.
1: Yeah. So I've used the Sonos one and it has full Alexa built in and I'm really happy with, with what they, what they did. And uh, I actually ordered a second Sonos mm. one, uh, which two Sonos Ones are the same price as a HomePod, and it works really well with Android, and it works with multiple audio services through uh, Alexa. So I'm really looking forward yeah. to, to to trying that out. I, I can't imagine that uh, stereo Sonos Ones won't sound better than one of the HomePods, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, yeah. They uh, Sonos has, has done a good job over the years. They, you know, they... Put a focus on audio quality when when most of these things didn't even exist. So uh, everybody's kind of playing catch up catch up to that. Let's also talk about uh, another product release from AMD. This time it's a it's a I think the full name is. The AMD Ryzen processor with Vega graphics. I I don't know, something like that. It's it's essentially a Ryzen APU, um, even though they don't use that term as often as they used to anymore. It's still in their documentation to some point. At some point. But uh, this is a a Ryzen, a four-core Ryzen processor integrated with a um, moderately powerful Vega GPU on the same die. You know, this is not a multi-chip package like we've been talking about with the Kaby Lake G part that Intel is building. Um, this is all one piece. It's a 65 watt TDP. It's uh, compatible with the same motherboards and platforms that are already out there for the most part, the AM4 platforms. Um, AMD gets credit for, you know, attempting to extend the life of their existing platforms by, you know, the, the, the original Ryzen processors released back in March, used AM4. These are using AM4, the, the Ryzen 2000 series that they've already announced will be coming out in the April time frame is also using the same platform, so kudos to them for that. Uh, Performance-wise, the, the, the Radeon Vega graphics portion of this new APU is it blows away what Intel's integrated graphics can do, right? So anything that exists on, you know, 7th gen or 8th gen core processors, you know, the Core i5-8400, which is the 6-core, 6-thread, kind of comparable price point part from Intel, uh, you know, uses Intel HD graphics 630. Those really haven't seen significant performance improvements in like three generations, I think. And in our games testing, you know, 720p, 1080p testing, the amd part is two to three times faster in games if you look at average frame rate um which which is impressive and it really puts a lot of pressure on the low cost budget discrete add-in market parts like the nvidia gt 1030 or the amd's amd's own rx you know 550 for example um have you know competition now from this all-in-one integrated part which i think is really neat and then for, from AMD's point of view, they basically haven't been able to address a significant portion of the market, right? If you look at OEM PCs, you know, small, medium business PCs that, that they don't care about, you know, having 16 threads. They don't care about having a GTX 1080 level graphics performance. They just want it to be compatible and working and functional. You know, the Ryzen parts that they released in March, last March, didn't have integrated graphics at all, so you had to add in the cost and complication of a discrete graphics art. And now they can offer a solution to these customers um, that that doesn't require that, that doesn't all-in-one thing, which is what Intel's had throughout. Even if it's low performance, it's still at least been available. So I'm really interested to see um, what kind of pickup they get with this new part. Yeah. So I think this will be the unit
1: volume driver. For, for AMD, I know they picked up a few points of market share. But that's prim- primarily been driven by high-end Ryzen mm-hmm. and, and even things like Threadripper. And while the notebook market is bigger than the desktop market, the, the game that AMD brings to the table and, and their marketing plays uh, a lot better in that channel desktop zone. So mm-hmm. I think this is where they're going to pick up uh, a few points of market share. I think that they will need to make sure that they are, are constantly marketing the value of GPU performance because you know you have to ask yourself uh, you know AMD has had this GPU advantage on their APUs for as long as I can remember. Yep. Um, why didn't that move the needle before, or will the combination of the improved uh, Zen core plus? the very very highly competitive graphics uh make the difference here
0: yeah i i I agree and i you know you're right amd has always had the advantage of integrated graphics but i do think the fact that their cpu cores were significantly behind what intel could offer limited what the size that audience was was going to be and even though you know amd is significantly caught up with the zen architecture and, and to be fair, the Intel parts are still faster. If you look at the Core i5-8400, the Core i3-8100, um, the Intel still has higher IPC. They still have higher clocks. Intel was pretty aggressive in that they made a the Core i5 part a six-core processor, six-core, six-thread processor. So they still have some advantages there. And, and and a significant part of the work that AMD has ahead of itself, as you mentioned, is proving to people the value of the integrated graphics, right? Not just for basic gaming, but how do you convince businesses and enterprise and then OEMs like Dell and HP to promote and market your product based on that integrated graphics, right? They have to find some use cases, some OpenCL accelerated applications, you know, what does Office do? What does Photoshop do? What do these other applications really take advantage of uh, on these parts, that uh that intel that intel can't really offer
1: i think esports they have they probably have a play there particularly in in asia and eastern europe so yeah,
0: yeah t- i think china and india would be will be big growth spots for this part yeah um let's move on and talk a little bit about some qualcomm stuff that happened they had a busy week they brought some analysts out to San Diego to talk through some 5G strategy ahead of Mobile World Congress, which is at the end of this month, in the first week of March. Um, their first big set of announcements was, I think, fairly significant, right? So there's this. You know, continuing battle between Qualcomm and Broadcom, and, and Qualcomm and the rest of the world, trying to prove the value that Qualcomm has, and you know, Qualcomm is leaning a lot into the 5G transition as a potential strength point for it, for the you know next 18 to 36 months. Um, they announced that they had, uh, I believe it was 19 OEMs and 18 carriers, or vice versa, one of those, we'll just say 18 of each, um, that had were adopting Qualcomm's 5G modem. So for the phone vendors and OEMs, they said they had 18 uh, partners that were going to be building smartphones or PCs or something, some product that integrates the Qualcomm X50 5G modem. And then on the carrier side, they were announcing that that same number of carriers were using Qualcomm 5G modems as the basis for their, uh, you know, network validations and testing setups, and these are pretty significant things, uh, and that try to prove the case that Qualcomm has the leadership position here. That th- all of the history and uh, stuff that they've done in the past. Means something for 5G that it's not just uh, you know a, a hard cut here and suddenly Intel as the competing 5G modem technology will have a, 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 a the ability to catch up I guess is what Qualcomm would argue. So what, what's your takeaway from these these high numeric value uh, uh, announcements?
1: Yeah, so uh, I liked Qualcomm's shock and awe. You know, 37 companies. Yeah. Uh, giving giving their support. And then, you know, we can't forget about the Samsung announcement that that, that was made. Uh, my guess is that Samsung didn't want to be part of a laundry list of companies, so they wanted their own <laughs> Well, they got yes. it. correct. They got it last week, and Samsung announced uh, with QCT, while they weren't specific on exactly what they were doing, uh, I, I have a feeling that, that they're, they're one of them. So the shock and awe was, uh, as you said, designed to send the message that uh there is stickiness with 5g and they don't need broadcom's help to to make that happen Uh, i know broadcom uh, has also made comments uh, about qualcomm's deteriorating customer relationships obviously referring to apple and and some others that they've been in litigation with but uh you know signing this up signing this many oems up says well Actually, uh, it can't be that bad because uh, we have all these great customers. And then I think secondly, it was a message to the industry that says, "Hey, you know we're at least ready between the carrier and and the device, right? Not just the modem that we're talking about here, but the actual devices and the connection to the carrier through the carrier equipment. Uh, is ready and we are open for business for five G in 2019.
0: Yep, it's interesting you brought up Samsung because it, they they put out Qualcomm Samsung had that release a couple of weeks ago, basically on their earnings day. That was incredibly vague; didn't really give any detail about what it was. What it was, but it was a you know renewed partnership between Qualcomm uh, and, and on the licensing side in Samsung and then Qualcomm on the product side and Samsung. And um, I did actually at the end of the of the 5G day, I got some time to talk with Cristiano, president at, uh, at Qualcomm. And he basically confirmed that, you know, hey, Samsung will be using our 5G technology. But I think you're right, Patrick, in that Samsung is, you know, they're a big enough entity. They don't want to be one of 18 companies in a list. They want to have their own special showcase. You know, it's, it's a Uh, Not a very big secret that everybody's expecting the Galaxy, the new Galaxy phone, to come out at Mobile World Congress. Uh, I don't think that one's going to announce with 5G technology, but um, you know, they they, Samsung basically, you know, they they wanted to have they want to have the spotlight to themselves, which is understandable in the with the position uh, that they're in. So
1: yeah, I keep I I keep final thing on this. I I can't help but to think of Apple's position in in this whole thing. So. Does this mean that Apple has to warm back up to Qualcomm? Does it mean that they don't and uh, it's okay if they're late with 5G or they've aligned with a partner where they'll be there with the premium Android handsets in 2019 as
0: well? Yeah. I I think Apple has proven in the past that it doesn't mind being a year late on the uh, cellular generational transitions right they did it with 3G um, they did it with 4G I have every expectation that they will do that with 5g and I think Tim Cook did an interview on CNBC recently where he said like uh, you know 5g is interesting but it's really a 2020 thing and Qualcomm and Android partners are out there talking about it being a 20 a 2019 yeah. um, in uh, you know volume play so I, I think it's it's obvious I guess probably that that Apple will be a year behind now, the question that, that you're asking also is, does that mean they're going to go back to, to Qualcomm for this, or are they going to go all in on this Intel relationship that they've been fostering over the last couple of generation of phone releases? Um, I think it's, it's, it's good timing for Apple if they decide to be a year later on 5G implementation because all indications are that Intel is behind Qualcomm on its product anyway. So that gives Intel time to catch up, have its product ready, um, for the Apple release, whether or not there will be performance or efficiency advantages one way or the other at that point, it's hard to tell. But, uh, yeah, it, it seems, you know, if you look at previous data points and then you kind of look at some of the statements that, that Tim Cook has said, it seems like that's a, they're, they're the full year back from where these, uh, these high-end flagship Android phones will be.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It was a different world
0: when Apple was a year
1: late on 4G, than, than it was before they didn't have nearly the market share that uh that they had here mm-hmm. particularly in the u.s and the western worlds and i think it's incumbent uh upon the carriers and qualcomm to make it matter uh and we'll we'll see what happens
0: might be a time that you see market share shifts or do people care about 5g enough to move to flagship android phones it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens next year uh some other stuff qualcomm announced that this just came out today they launched the x24 snapdragon x24 modem this is going to be a two gigabits per second peak data rate uh a product Right, so that's an increase over the X16 that's out today, that is one gigabit. They released the X20 modem, that is 1.2 gigabits, and um, the X20 is the modem that, that resides in the Snapdragon 845 application processor as well. And it seems pretty obvious that the X24 will be both available as a discrete product and then also integrated into some future, you know, processor from Qualcomm. Um, What's your take on, you know, another LTE modem that is now taking peak up to two gigabits per second while we're still, you know, we, we kind of see this a lot in the mobile space where we're always, you know, they're, they're a generation or two generations ahead of what they're announcing versus what's available, right? You know, we don't have a lot of uh, X16 enabled products out there that are getting that kind of speed in the networks. You know, it, do you feel like this is this is rushing ahead a bit too soon?
1: So where I think we are, I think we have to start uh, on gigabit LTE. Where there are gigabit LTE sites uh, in the right cities, we are seeing substantial improvements uh, mm-hmm. in those. You know, I'm seeing 200 megabit per second, uh, which is exactly where I thought they would be. Here in Austin, I can fire off speeds like that on, uh, on things like the Samsung Galaxy S8+. Plus so uh, where it's installed it matters these these averages that you see on things like open signal and PC mag that are averages are just averages now the average is going up but what I wish they would do is test it test the real speeds where the gigabit capabilities uh, are so yeah that that's is that is at a baseline with that said Uh, 4G LTE is going to have to be to work in concert with 5G because uh, depending on what type of, whether you're doing millimeter wave or other even with NR, uh, you're going to need uh, to have a fallback uh, particularly early on. So having a, a phone or a device with the fastest 4G and 5G is going to be important. Uh, so I I like the move, if nothing else, uh, to keep LTE going, which will be a requirement early early in with mm-hmm. with five G. And I also like the like the competitive pressure uh, yeah. as uh, as well. What what I'll be tracking very closely is is again watching these uh, carriers uh, jump on the bandwagon and and give support behind it because. If they don't offer support, then you might as well not even have it. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting. The the transition to 5G is very different in that you will be connected to both networks at the same time, 4G and 5G, because of the uh, how the 5G technology works. And so. Rather than uh, I think when we did the 3G to 4G transition, you would do things like hey I was on LTE, but when you connect to a voice call, you actually fall back to 3G and then move back to LTE when you had the data, and there are all these handoffs that had to occur. Uh, they're trying to avoid that this time by having simultaneous active connections. And if you walk out of 5G service, you go inside a building that doesn't you know allow the 5G to permeate through it, 4G is immediately there and automatically uh, takes over, which I think um, does put more of an emphasis on the LTE back end of these devices than, uh, than anything we've seen. So, uh, I think the, 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 final Qualcomm thing that we saw was they actually released performance numbers or they let reviewers release performance numbers of the Snapdragon 845. Um, I believe this is the processor everybody's expecting will be in the galaxy S nine and the future, you know, the, the other kind of flagship, uh, smartphones in the Android world. The, Initial results from it are actually pretty impressive. The single-threaded performance goes up about 25% from the 835 to the Snapdragon 845, Uh, and multi-threaded performance goes up by about 35% with this new processor. Now, that's still behind what the iPhone 8 and uh, iPhone 10 do with the A11 Bionic chip by a fairly healthy margin. AMD still has the advantage if you look at tests like uh, Geekbench, for example, just these raw synthetics. Uh, but they are noteworthy improvements over what was already considered basically the flagship of the of the Android space. Um, the, the The graphics performance also goes up considerably with the 845. Uh, looks like we're seeing something around the same Percentage And in this case, it's actually able to bypass or, or, or move ahead of the A, Apple A11 part. So interesting kind of back and forth there between the 845 and that. What What's your, you know, you and I have this conversation slash debate all the time about the value of benchmarks and real world uh, applications and use cases. What's your takeaway from any of this kind of information about the 845 and how you think it will or will not affect the outlook of, uh, of these devices.
1: So the reality is even though that Snapdragon, uh, SOC or, or the compute and compute and imaging and GPU isn't inside of Apple, they still have to be the arms dealer to Apple's competitors. So you have to compare them to Apple. Now mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen, uh, the new 845 narrow the single threaded uh, gap that that apple has on the cpu but i said that i say that saying that i'd be afraid that apple would create an app or create something that would actually show that off i can't think of a scenario other than benchmarking where apple is maxing out their cpu capability so I feel like it's just sitting there right now. So mm. what that does is that that puts the burden on the GPU and the DSP for things like uh, VR and and games and applications like that. And I'm really happy to see that uh, in a way um, the 845 is either caught up or eclipsed uh, Apple's um, Bionic, but you know Bionic mm-hmm. is six months months old. Right. Uh, but I'm I'm glad that they are are improving in those areas. And the other thing I think we have to consider here is that Qualcomm has a lot less die area to work with versus yep. versus Apple. So they're putting less transistors against it. So in a way, their design challenge is is even more more difficult uh, than, than Apple's who. Uh, their chips will always go into premium devices. They can afford to have the die area, and oh by the way, if they make a mistake in the hardware, uh, they own the operating system and the application framework, so they can help uh, on that from a, from a, a power perspective. So, yep. You know, hats off to to Qualcomm. I would love to see them. Uh, I like drag races that are close, particularly in the CPU <laughs> uh, area, but. I think the proof will be uh, in heterogeneous computing environments that are hitting on uh, the CPU, uh, the GPU, the DSP uh, in machine learning uh, type of, of applications. I I don't I think the benchmarks are getting a little old and age to me. You know, where's the big machine learning benchmark
0: mm-hmm. that
1: is that is definitive, right? Yep. Uh, where where is the um, Uh, The ones that, uh, you know, do ResNet or or something like that. Those, to me, are are some of the more valuable benchmarks versus, uh, you know, GeekBench.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, And and, in my conversations with with Qualcomm, we've said as much, right? Like, you know, you have this DSP, you talk about the performance it provides, the the capabilities it it offers up to developers. But if we can't describe this in some way visually in some kind of of data uh, or metric, it's hard to prove that it's even really an advantage, right? Um, You either need software developers to come out and talk about what it can do or, you know, help develop... These other benchmarks, and you get into a whole other discussion about okay, if Qualcomm had a lot of input on the creation of this benchmark, is it even valuable to compare to other to other third parties, and I'm sure you know Samsung's AP department and you know High Silicon and, and Apple themselves would argue against that. But um, it, it's clear that we need a better collection of tests to measure these these other things, the the more experience-based stuff. We have a lot of tools on the PC side that we've been able to apply, and. Shift how we look at performance metrics, you know, from gaming to, to office productivity to whatever, and we haven't seen a lot of that shift in uh, in the mobile space just yet. So, but I, I think um, sooner rather than later, we'll have we'll have some eight forty five devices that that we can uh, actually pit up against the competition and, and see how they how they stack up versus just these reference designs. I think the final thing we want to mention here today is Microsoft. Released lower-cost models, versions of the Surface Book and the Surface Laptop, which I thought were interesting, right? Especially on the heels of all the earnings and, and market announcements, right? We heard about um, Apple's MacBook kind of decreasing some and Surfaces decreasing significantly less or, or being flat, I guess. Uh, and whether or not Microsoft has pressure from the outside to offer lower-cost versions of their machines, um, Real quick, just in terms of what these changes were, they announced they basically lowered the price of the entry book Surface Book 2 by $300 by decreasing the amount of storage from 256 gigs to 128 gigs. Uh, but then they also released or, or lowered the entry price of the Surface laptop by $200 down to 799 bucks, but at the expense of moving from a Core i5 to a Core M processor, um, taking memory from, uh, uh, well, no, keeping memory at four gigs, 128 gigs. So for 200 bucks, you're basically moving from the core I five to the core M platform, which is obviously lower power, lower performance, um, type part. So do you read anything into these changes that Microsoft is, is putting out there, uh, after kind of the information from, from Apple and, and Microsoft Couple yeah, I, li- ago.
1: I really like the way you set it up. So I, I dug into the Apple earnings, and all, while they were down, they had one less week compared to a year ago. And they went out of their way uh, with the analyst notes to say that, that they were actually up around 7% week-on-week, week. Uh, meaning uh. Uh, on a week-on-week. Week, they didn't have any any as many weeks, but they were right. actually up. So that said to me, okay. They were actually up where the last few quarters have been flat for Microsoft. And I think the biggest surprise for me there is that Microsoft added, uh, versus a year ago, they added the 15 inch uh, Surface Book uh, Mm -hmm. and a a brand new laptop, which the laptop, Microsoft uh, Surface laptop, doesn't need any explanation, right? It's a laptop. Right. It's not like it's a two-in-one, it's a convertible, and, and all of this. Um, so it should be an easier product to sell. So I think this has everything to do with sales velocity and increasing that through a lower opening price point. That's, this has everything to do with how do I compete with Apple with a, a much lower price point. I mean, the MacBook Pros start at at, at dollars um, yeah. So I, I think by they'll be able to Microsoft should be able to pull more people into their stores uh, with some of these new opening price points.
0: Do you worry any about you know this debate always comes up about what impact does this Surface line have on PC OEMs, right? And and I think one of the initial arguments that we had for hey the Surface line existing at all was that they were going for the extreme high end of of, uh, of the price points and, and markets in order to not kind of aggravate the Dell, HP, Lenovo's of the world. Do you think any of this changes with these continued kind of moves downward in the, in the pricing stack? I
1: think if, if Microsoft keeps making progress out there in terms of market share, I think the short answer for me will be yes. So you have the big three who are continuously gaining market share on the other category. They're all growing. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't even know if they're necessarily taking share away from each other. It's hard to tell, but uh, if you know, Dell, HP, Lenovo, if their growth starts to subside, that's when I, I start to get I start to get um, concerned right. about that. Particularly with uh, Windows S and some of the security offerings that Microsoft is is bringing to the table, because not only is Microsoft in the hardware business, but they're also uh, picking at, at some of the only places that the OEMs make uh, make any money.
0: Yeah. Yeah, agreed. it be interesting to see. Uh, but I think, for, you know, as... I like the Surface devices, so seeing those price points come down, I think, is uh, is a net positive for consumers. Uh, I think that's going to be it for us this week. Uh, we touched on a lot of stuff. We'll have another one early next week for everybody as well. We've got a lot more stuff that has happened over uh, the way busier than we thought month. Of February. You can find all of our episodes and uh, links to subscribe either through iTunes or Google Play or through the RAW RSS feeds or anywhere else uh, that you find podcasts at thetechanalysts.com. Patrick, uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. We'll see you next week, guys. Thanks.